happy 21st episode treater <laughs> happy 21st episode chris our podcast can now drink <laughs> let's get fucked up <laughs> legally of course so so let's start with some with some corrections we we heard from 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 a listener um philip daniel who is a composer um, who's, who's pretty cool. You should you should um, check out his his stuff. We'll put a link in the show notes. Maybe um, he he kind of composes in a um, in a sort of turn of the century idiom that that kind of reminds me of Anton Webern or or Max Reger, um, Karl Gellert, you know Hindemith, that kind of Schoenberg, that kind of sort of old school Germanic style that has really been abandoned. Um, it seems since the since the sort of turn of the century and the early twentieth century. Um, but he he um, had a couple of corrections. Do you want to take it away, Chris? Yeah, sure. Yeah, no. I mean, first side note on that though. First side note of the of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I used to sort of realize if you wanted to go to a composer party and look cool, when they ask you who your favorite composer is, say Paul Hindemith. <laughs> um, I was gonna say I don't know why. No, I do know why. He's a really fantastic amazing composer but for some reason but for some reason it seems like composers really idolize him even more than me and you might for something and i'm sure i'm sure we could spend a long time like diving into compositional methods his actual music and things but um yeah life hacked anyone if you want to look cool in front of a bunch of composers (laughs) just say your favorite composer is paul hindemith (laughs) yeah i think glenn gould Um, says somewhere that that very few people have changed music as much as Hindemith while being less influential in terms of actually having people who who um who took up his style in the next generation you know most people most people come through and if they if they really mess things up and just start a whole new thing it becomes like you know it becomes quite influential but Hindemith just did his own thing had a few students who kind of followed in his footsteps and then that kind of idiom has largely been sort of passed over except by people who really um care about this kind of thing so he's an interesting one yeah no he's great he wrote a lot of great symphonic music a lot of great instrumental music he wrote he wrote sonata i think for for every every instrument he wrote more or less great trumpet sonata flute sonata i know he wrote violin yeah. stuff so yeah no he's great anyways back on topic with the corrections so this was from our last full-length traditional episode, so not including the Q&A. So this is from the episode entitled Kind of Baroque, where we talked a lot about Baroque music, and particularly with this correction, this was having to do with the music of Gabrielli and the music of Venice in the, what was that, the 17th century or so. And, and I said Gabrielli went to venice to no sorry i said that I, I'm, I'm gonna you need a correction okay. on my correction <laughs> yeah this is icl gold here <laughs> so um yeah so i said bach i said that bach went to venice to study with gabrielli and that is not true that is incorrect i meant or i was confusing that with with um, Heinrich Schütz, um, who was a Germanic composer, very pro- very prolific in his time stuff, and he studies music law in music school, and kind of led to Bach in a sense. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think the argument could be made but... that that he went to Venice to study with Gabrielli, and then brought. He was kind of the the person who brought um, brought the Italian um, style back to back to Germany in the 
in the sort of late 17th century. Um, that's my understanding of it again. If Philip Daniel's listening, he can correct us on this correction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we should start a podcast or yeah, it'd be a great podcast to just be called Follow Up to have a podcast just because follow up or you're just always following up on what you, <laughs> on what you previously talked about yeah exactly <laughs> and, and and with some of these topics like you'd be curious if you started with this right the italian style migrating up to germany and being you know birthed into the baroque it'd be funny like 20 episodes later or 21 episodes later <laughs> where that actually leads to and by you know episode 21 we're talking about disney film music or something yeah <laughs> Yeah, that, that's yeah. that. That would be a good. That'd be good. You can only you can only start new topics if they are directly referenced by old topics. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Huh? That'd be kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so yeah, so Bach did not go and study with Giovanni Gabrielli down in Venice. And if you quickly glance at a timeline or Wikipedia, I'm pretty sure Bach was born after Gabrielli died. So, yeah. <laughs> in this universe, it wouldn't have even been possible. So. So that was my mistake, and um, but that's not the biggest mistake. That, oh, sorry. Yeah, please. I was just gonna say, for for what it's worth, um, Bach's main teacher was actually his, his older brother. Um, I think his name is Jan Christian Bach, um, who oh, with, yeah, with whom yeah. he went to live after his mother died. Um, he was significantly older than Johann Sebastian, um, so that that was his main teacher. He picked up influences, you know, from everywhere besides that, and um, in the way of people who are largely self-taught, you know. Um, from from mm, yeah. people like Bach Stehuda and another, I'm sure he learned a lot from Heinrich Schutz. I'm, I'm sure Bach was aware of of Schutz and um, and studied studied him. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm not a musicologist. I'm just a performer. You know, we're, we we both sure. are. So yeah. I, I'm I just sh- play kid. I just play kid. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, obviously we care about these things, but I'm sure there are people who yeah. have dedicated their like PhD theses to these topics who are pulling their hair out right now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so fair. Um, but um, but anyway, so that was um, so that was the first correction. But also a few seconds later, or like a few minutes later in that episode, a more embarrassing correction would, would be my um, would be my mispronunciation of the Opera House in Venice. I called it the Fenis <laughs> Opera House when it actually is pronounced Fenice, <laughs> um, translating to Phoenix in English, but. Yeah, I remember saying that too, and I thought, huh, Venice, okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a um, stupid question, but, I mean, why isn't it pronounced Venice then? Or is it? <laughs> you know, well, in Italian, it's Venezia, right? Oh, okay, okay. Then it, but with like a Z, Venezia, yeah. or no, V and a Z, yeah, yeah. Venezia, I think. Um, yeah. So, yeah, okay. Um, um, yeah, I probably heard it somewhere called Fennis, probably from some tedious documentary about 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 this stuff. So, yeah, yeah, sorry to all of our Italian listeners. I apologize for mispronunciating, for, for the mispronunciation of your opera house. That is Chris, egregious. Chris, our Italian listeners don't need your apology. Your Italian ancestors need your apology. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost as bad as the Scale Opera House in Milano. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, these yeah. things happen in the course of conversation. Fair. So I think that's, you know, that's all, yeah. it's all fair play. Yeah, it's a, it's a correction. Like, it's fine. Like, it doesn't change anything. But I, I just felt like I kind of had to say it. I had to get on the record at some point that 
I was aware I mispronounced it. So yeah. So so there you have it. <laughs> yeah. So you know that that's fairly fairly short and painless um, as far as corrections go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Should we dive into some some true follow up? Yeah. Or were there more? Yeah. Were there more okay. corrections? Um, I think those are the big ones. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are. We just don't know about it. So we were talking about orchestras that were handling the COVID situation well in the first part of our Q&A, and I wanted to shout one out that I thought was doing well, but um, had some snags along the way. Um, the Orchestra of St. <laughs> Luke's, which is a, uh, it's a chamber orchestra in, in New York City, um, had a live streamed concert, I think about a week ago, um, that they were selling tickets on to, to watch after the fact on, on Twitter. Um, and, and I wanted to check it out um, because they were doing uh, Bach trio sonatas. So they, they did um, an organ sonata, they did um, one other, I forget, and then um, the trio sonata from the musical offering, which is for flute, violin, um, cello, and piano um, in the modern instrumentation. And um, the flutist is uh, this, this guy who's, whose name is um, Brandon Patrick George, um, who's a wonderful flutist. I love the way that he plays Bach. But anyway, this was a, this was a really interesting program to me. So I was like, awesome, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. check this out. Um, and I went to get a ticket, and it was on a pay-what-you-can model, which I, I love. And I've long said that orchestras should be taking up this model more because it's been highly successful in, in like comedy and um, in film and even in book publishing, pretty much everywhere. It's, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, even because, um, yeah, I think it was Radiohead, the British band. They yeah. had a pay-what-you-can model for one of their albums like 10 years ago, and it like it broke all these records for how much money it made. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So it, You'd be surprised what Anyways, you can get if you just ask and don't make people pay necessarily, you know. Um, so yeah. I'm I'm a huge fan of this. So I was I was you know I was really gung ho about this um, program, which I thought was a really interesting program, and the, um, this pay what you can model. So um, I I chipped a few bucks their way and um, got an email with a with a URL to watch the stream. And I clicked on it just to sort of check out how, how it looked and everything. But then I, I closed my tab because I didn't have time to watch the concert right then and there, thinking, and I'll just come back to it tomorrow. And I do have a little bit more time, and I'll, and I'll take a listen to this um, and enjoy it. And so that was today. So I, I, I re-clicked on the link in my, mm -hmm. in my email. Uh-oh. And, and I got uh -oh. led to a, a page saying that um, your ticket has expired. And, um, <laughs> and um, that just... It just pissed me off. I don't know. I don't know why <laughs> this needs. To, I'm sure there was somewhere in the fine print. You know, don't click on this URL until you're ready to watch the concert. But, you know, what if I only had time to watch half the concert yesterday and I wanted to watch the other half today? Isn't that kind of the whole point of this asynchronousness, um, of being able to watch a concert from home? Of course, you know, if I wanted to watch it in person, um, the the uniqueness of the moment is important. But I don't know anyone who watches a, an entire concert, um, just an entire like hour and 15 minute long concert, just sitting at home, you know, in one sitting. That rarely happens, you know, unless you make a whole event out of it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. What were, your, what were your thoughts, Chris? So I didn't get to listen to it. I can't report on the music, by the way. Uh, so this has been bothering me, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> 
because it's like really setting up a paywall this is what classical music needs right now right is oh my god yeah what classical music really needs is to take a page out of yet another dying industry journalism (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean because because this um so let's be fair this isn't just orchestra st luke's right this is this is happening a a bunch of places right Mm -hmm. so because i noticed we we mentioned i think yeah i think it was the same episode it was the the first q a i mentioned a very awesome halloween concert that the new york philharmonic did at a big cathedral in at a big cathedral in new york that was really cool they put like smoke and meters throughout it and like um like cool lightning sound effects and uh like orange lighting throughout it so i was like okay awesome this is this is something different we're not just recording a concert in a concert hall and putting it (laughs) up right yeah i was like all right these folks are on the right track and it was on youtube for free anyone could watch it when we went to go make the show notes for that episode we realized that no (laughs) that concert is no longer on the new york phil official youtube account no, that is now behind the paywall of you have to pay a subscription fee or something to get New York Phil Plus or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. So that's the first thing is the lazy branding. <laughs> um, now, okay. So, all, and it's not even just in like, it's just in entertainment in general. Everybody thinks now if you put, a plus sign after your company brand or your logo or your service it's now premium and you can pay for it so this ha- first happened with like apple music plus which <laughs> that's way too many syllables to say i mean yeah yeah so and then apple tv plus sorry no yeah it was apple tv plus and now and there's some other folks that put a plus behind it and now there's um paramount plus is paramount streaming platform <laughs> there's disney plus right? yeah. <laughs> there's, there's there's san francisco symphony plus is there really <laughs> ah there yep oh that, my god that is what it is so well, i mean I, I i i can just envision the like board meeting with like all the suits right we're like all right we have this content but we need the right we need to earn people's <laughs> respect enough to be able to charge money for it so by putting a plus at the end of it, it yeah but anyway so so yeah so there's that thing it's like come on at least like spend a f- i mean i'm sure you and i could sit here for five minutes and come up with a better brand than new york phil plus or yeah. i mean to 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 be fair like paramount plus or um or anything i think disney plus was actually the first one i think that was the first okay major so one they have that. they have a pass yeah yeah and yeah <sighs> maybe yeah maybe yeah. but um yeah they might have a pass but so anyway so like the lazy branding it's like come on you can do better than this and then and then yeah, I sort of, I don't know, I really kind of have a problem with this, right? Where not, so there's the moral issue, but also, I mean, I'm just thinking practically, first of all, right? I'm just thinking purely practically, charging people a ticket to go watch something on a web browser in Chrome in an era where you can watch pretty much any live concert you can think of on YouTube, right? Where we're right rat, rat, click and play sort of, thing right now or phase in online entertainment right so the um yeah we're for for the same reason these paywalls aren't working in print journalism right Mm. (laughs) you and i both know very well different chrome extensions to get around the new york times paywall and (laughs) stuff and, and, (laughs) and things um and and to be fair i wonder if they had like 
something where it did charge you but work even better or is quicker or better or um more intuitive and and um easier to manipulate but it, um then this chrome extension that lets you read it for free if they had like a better alternative i'm willing to bet people would pay for it right that that was the itunes store mo uh, model right which was you know steve jobs and apple and itunes they decided to take on napster not by suing them but by competing with them, by trying to offer a better product, right? Because they offered album art and like, um, you know, better metadata. So it could slot into your iPod much easier and you wouldn't have to punch in the title manually and sort mm -hmm. of stuff, right? So so, so that's like the, the, that's the right way to approach it, I think. But, um, but anyway, but back on topic, yeah, we're putting this paywall and trying to get people into classical music. It's like... Not only are you not going to get people that are like new to classical music to come and now pay a ticket to go see something on a Chrome tab, but also the people that were fans beforehand, the recurring customers. I mean, I'm not really paying a whole bunch of money for the streaming concerts, and and nor are people I really know are either. I mean, the model I think they should also be considering right is the the NPR model, right? Offer it for free, and if you do a good job, people will be more than grateful and will and will pay you. Right, All right. Almost That's like exactly the pay what it. you want model. Yeah, right? yeah. I yeah. certainly it's think it's the podcast model essentially. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. And if you're someone like the, the New York Philharmonic, um, where the core of your the core of your business is is actual concerts with actual tickets, right? Um, I don't know how you could possibly expect people to to be um, patrons of of your live concerts as well as subscription members for your website to watch your YouTube videos. You know, that's, that's asking a lot of people. Um, already in an age when subscription models have, like, have become too much, you know. There are too many sub-stacks. Yeah, yeah. There are too many um, everything. There, there are too many Patreons. There are too many, yeah. there's too many content creators who are asking for subscription models. Um, and and I, I fully think that the, the way that orchestra should be embracing this thing um, is is like like you said the NPR model. Just put put everything out there on the internet for free, and um, and ask for a pay what you can model. I think they will be blown away by how much support they get. Um, again, because this is this is secondary to their main enterprise, which is the giving of live concerts. I understand that this has been a tough year for that, but um, again, I think they're going to make more money. You're going to make more money if you. Put everything out there for free and and say pay what you can you can even put a suggested donation like pay what you can suggested 10 bucks because um, then the people who can afford it will probably be happy to pitch a dollar for making it easy um, on them to access your content um, because it's free and because you're not asking them to break their bank for it you know that's something that if you're if you're broke like a dollar that's like a nice sign of appreciation and then people who can afford it yeah um will happily will happily i think um they understand that the that that the keeping up of the cultural institutions is is an important thing to do and they'll i think they'll be happy to pitch 10 bucks 20 bucks um your way and without the annoyance of the subscription model there um you'll just you'll they'll make even more money i bet yeah the pay what you can model is really underrated there was a restaurant here in san francisco towards the beginning of the pandemic when these restaurants were trying to figure out how to shift uh, a, a takeout model, right, instead of a dine-in model. And um, yeah, there's a restaurant here that, um, yeah, I mean, it was just like a, a decent 
restaurant here in the city, like fairly popular, you know, but but not, you know, the talk of the town. But they had a pay what you can model. You could pay as little as one cent to as much as, as your checkbook could allow. And yeah, so if you want to order food for dinner, you could literally pay what you want. And they made so much money because, <laughs> of course, like the millionaires in town were like, all right, yeah, I'll pay them $4,000 for this dinner takeout, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, because they're also valued as, you know, a local thing, like as a as a institution, I guess, or a business that they wanted yeah. to see stay around. And and people are more likely to want to see you stay around if you're putting stuff up for free, like the New York Phil, right? So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think it's just a it's a misunderstanding of of um, the power of the internet. I think you know at least in the in the way of orchestras um, with this. Um, it's one thing to like it. They, you can really just see them mapping on the same thing that you do in concerts, like this this whole thing of like the the one time exactly. the one time purchase of a ticket. That's fundamentally misunderstanding how me and pretty much every, everyone that I know, like of our generation, all our friends misunderstanding how we watch online concerts. I don't know about you, but I don't watch them in one sitting. No, um, no yeah, yeah. So I like listen to a piece here, pause it, go do something else and listen to a piece elsewhere, you know. Um, that's, there is a place for the kind of, um, the kind of almost mystical congregation that the concert hall allows, right? Where you can sit yeah. in silence right, sure. with, no, your, with the community yeah. and listen to nothing but the music and be like in this space that's not streaming though that's just not streaming yeah you know i'm like listening to it while yeah. i make lunch or something and then and then i gotta get practicing um yeah you know, exactly exactly um, so it's just misunderstanding no, I, how it's how it works i i can just i can just envision the meeting with like all the suits right like all them in like the conference room and said all right so here's our plan we're gonna take the concert hall experience we're gonna put it online <laughs> And that includes charging people for it, you know. So it's, I just people have never, yeah, these people that have never been on the internet before, haven't ever been on YouTube. Just come on. It, well, especially if it's video, right? Too. It's like if if you're putting any video online, any video on the internet, and you're asking people to pay to watch it, you're gonna lose. I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> that's just fundamental to where we are with the evolution of the internet right now. Sorry, that's just, yeah. they ain't changing. And again, not to put a too fine of a point on it, but I think, you know, there can be some interest, some interest convergence here between the people who want free content and the people who want to make money off their content. Those are two legitimate factions, right? And we can have mm -hmm. interest convergence because the people who want to make money off their content stand to make more money on on the sort of NPR slash pay what you can model. Because again, the way that the reason that you need to have like, you know, uh, a, you can't go lower than a certain number on ticket sales in a, for a real life concert because you do need to, you know, make a profit um, on, on this concert. Mm -hmm. And there are a finite number of seats, you know, so I understand. But yeah. On the internet, um, you your reach is mm. essentially infinite. Um, if you just say pay what yeah. you can, and you know, tons of people will just give you a dollar, but then some people will give you yeah. you know fifty dollars, five hundred dollars, etc. Um, you'll get more people buying your tickets, if, especially if you're like the New, the New York Philharmonic. 
um, you know, whose reach is global, you'll get way more people buying your tickets than you ever would for any given concert. So you don't need to do this thing where you say, like, you can only watch this if you pay $8.99 a month for our subscription model or whatever it is. I don't know what their price is, you know. But there's there's more money to be gained because you have you have more people who are interested in your thing because you're putting it out there um, and you're you're not really asking too much of a of a of an overhead in terms of price or even just um, the sheer annoyance of it, you know. Because um, honestly, like this this orchestra St. Luke's Luke's thing, um, you know, mm-hmm. they were on the pay what you can model. So I technically could have um, when I hit that link again today to watch it, and I hit that um, your ticket has expired URL. Um, I technically could have bought, bought I could have just bought another ticket for like you know fifty cents and watched it again. But when I saw that, I was just like, you know what? I got stuff to do. I got to record a podcast. Yeah. You know, I, I'll deal with yeah. this at a later point. And quite frankly, that probably means never, you know? Yeah, right. I, I'll wait till it's on right. YouTube. Uh, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not, that's, yeah. that you can judge, like, the ethics of that decision, but that's just how the world works, you know? Like, in an asynchronous world, people are, it's, you know, people are loath to give up um, that much time for, for stuff like, for minor annoyances like this. <laughs> Right, right. And no, it's a shame, right? Because the New York Philharmonic, I mean, what a brand in the classical music world, right? I mean, that's not their problem, right? (laughs) So it's it's like, yeah, yeah, right. If this was, you know, the the Denver Symphony, yeah, that's a bigger challenge to, to, um, that's a bigger challenge facing you, right? But yeah, if you're the the freaking New York Philharmonic, yeah. Uh, Yeah, if 25,000 people give you $1, (laughs) That's better yeah. than a concert. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. A, so, a live concert, I mean, yeah. And of course, and of course, right. And you could live on the internet for you know months, years, or something, right? I mean, it could just be there forever, yeah. right? So, it's it's not like you know a concert that happens over the course of a weekend where the you know everything you everything you didn't make is now a loss. And also the thing that bothered me about them, right? They had this video, this Halloween concert on YouTube, and then took it off and put it behind the paywall. And that's even worse. Yeah. That's just that's just toying with your fans. It's, I, there's like an unwritten code, that, I think. That's a sin of commission. Yeah, yeah. There's an unwritten code, I think, in the way YouTube works, where once you put it up there, it stays up there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Especially if you put it up on your official channel. It's not like someone bootlegged it. Yeah. You know, and, and then... Exactly. You know, they, no, they were, right, yeah. right. They put it up there on their New York Philharmonic channel, and then they, were like, and then they reneged on it, which... Come on. Yeah, they tweeted about it. They promoted yeah. it. You know, they. Yeah. And and they yeah, really left us in the lurcher. You know, we were gonna we were gonna we were gonna big up the New York Philharmonic by putting their concert in in the famous ITL show notes. You know, they were they were this close to getting the ITL bump, and they fucked it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that says more about them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, so, and of course, we say this out of love, New York Phil. Um, yeah, we're trying to help like, We're trying to help and, these people. Yeah, we're on the same side, too. Like, I mean, I, yeah, I get it's not, you know, easy. I understand you've been doing something the same way for so long, and this is hard time for everyone, obviously. So it's not the easiest thing in the world to now all of a sudden pivot part of your business model and your forecasting and your budgeting and all that to now offering video online for free. It's not the easiest thing in the world, but yeah, it's not nuclear physics either. <laughs> I think they just need to they, they just need to get younger people probably on on whatever board is making these decisions. I didn't want to say it, but yeah, okay. <laughs> it just reeks of people who didn't grow up on the internet. 
you know yeah. they, they yeah. just fundamentally <laughs> misunderstand you know it, just get someone who's like 25 and has lived on the internet since the, since they could you know have a social life They'll, this stuff is intuitive for people like us <laughs> well whoever runs their twitter account is on it because they retweet and they like comment on our stuff you know pretty regularly and so or at least in, here and there they'll comment on something i post so promote that person whoever that is <laughs> <laughs> yeah and retweet real. this if you want this <laughs> is too easy this is yeah. um but yeah, no, put this person in charge of like your new, uh, create a new position called digital platform management or something. Yeah. And, and again, like no one's, I mean, maybe the Berlin Phil, but they've been doing kind of their own thing for a long time. So I don't think they really count with yeah. like the digital concert hall. But as far as like other orchestras besides them, so yeah, take them out of the picture. Um, other orchestras that are trying to dance and figure out this, this, the situation and this, this um the solution you know if you get it right man you'll be the talk of the classical music world this will be because no one's done it yet yeah and again it's not that hard and there's probably challenges you know we're not thinking about because streeter and i don't work in the nonprofit space for a big orchestra but you know yeah if you figure this out and do a good job with it i mean you'll be the only show in town so and it'll be it'll be huge going forward. Again, like you said, this once you if you can nail the business model for this for your online enterprise, um, that's there for life. Like you, yeah, you can, that's right. something that is always going to be making you money on top of your regular business model. You know, yeah, um, yeah. there are not that many things like that. I mean, this really, like, if the New York Philharmonic launches a successful digital business whatever business model mm -hmm. that will be yeah. a purely just a positive thing on their on their regular like once concerts you know go back to normal like they soon will because um, mm -hmm. by now more than half the country has gotten at least one vaccination shot um mm -hmm. other half probably won't ever so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah everyone who wants a shot has gotten one so um i think yeah. i think concerts are going to go back to normal fairly soon i say that trepidatiously um, sure, they had sure. a whole year to figure out this online business model thing and no one has done it. And, you know, there's still time. If, if you do it now, it'll be, it'll be just a, like a pure profit on top of your regular season profits, you know, because you'll be getting different people. The New York Philharmonic, probably yeah. most of the people who um, pay to see their digital stuff won't be people in New York City. There'll be people who, who will be happy to give the exactly. money exactly. to them to have the luxury of hearing their online concerts for free or for a nominal fee. Um, online who live in New Jersey or Chicago. <laughs> Man, I really struggled to think of a live couple in a of foreign things. land like New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, well, I couldn't think of a single place in America. <laughs> yeah. Could live in Brooklyn or yeah. Yeah, Jersey City or, yeah. or the Bronx or <laughs> people who um, were going to go see yeah. the Orchestra of St. Luke's but have decided to, to see the New York Philharmonic instead. But but you, yeah, but you know what I'm trying no, to say. Again, like it's it's a different um, exactly different group that you're that you're getting money from. So it's still worth exactly this and out. yeah. I mean that that's the thing. Unlike you know the physical and just logistical constraints of putting on a real concert, the overhead for growing this exponentially across the world is minimal. You know, it's just yeah. it's so small. That's the beauty of the internet, right? Yeah. So. 
it's you can have more and more fans in yeah australia and stuff it just doesn't matter anymore so yeah it's just like a, a net positive any way you cut it i think and it's a shame more people aren't trying to so it's frustrating to see because like i think the people that are hip to the power of the internet kind of live in their own internet world um the musicians yeah. you know for the most part they're just you know they just show up and play kid you know that's I, I you know right they, they just right, exactly. they have their own thing to worry about and then all the people on the administrative boards and stuff like that they seem to be just they seem to be just old people quite frankly i have nothing against old people but you know let's get some fresh blood yeah. in here i, I voted for <laughs> yeah. one yeah so. <laughs> well to be fair that's all our, all our choices were yeah. <laughs> pick your septuagenarian yeah. but yeah um yeah, yeah right and um throwing up more and more paywalls between you and your um fans listeners potential fans audience right that's that just that's just not gonna be successful and yeah. and again like if you need more ideas like you don't have to think very hard because things are possible now in a digital in a, in a digital medium that weren't before right so a good example i think is martin scorsese's film the irishman right which was a phenomenal movie that came out a few years ago directly on netflix it was put in theaters too because get nominated for an oscar has to air in theaters <laughs> and so he actually put it in 70 millimeter print in across theaters and in theaters across america so he 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 did it well and if your name is mark scorsese you can do that <laughs> um but that movie is like four hours long or so but the way he thought about it is it's like yeah that's why we're putting it on netflix you don't have to watch it all in one sitting right you can break it up into two three or four sittings and netflix i think even published like if you can't make it through four hours here's like the ideal scene so like pause it they really did they said that (laughs) yeah they openly embraced it they openly embraced it it, though right yeah yeah so you know this doesn't have to be the traditional way if the reason you're doing something is primarily that's just how we've always done it <laughs> that's yeah. a terrible reason and so and so yeah with with this digital medium and now people are yeah concerts are going to come back movie theaters are going to come back but what's going to stay the way it is is now how much more willing people are to enjoy content from home it's a really good right? point uh right really good point so so um if that made sense the way i phrased it i was trying to think of the way to put it that made sense to me (laughs) yeah yeah so so now it's like people two years ago people might have if you said all right there's going to be a great concert of the New York Phil, <laughs> I feel like we're picking up on the New York Phil. I know. It'll be a great concert of the Chicago Symphony that, that we can watch on our TV. If you, if you said that two years ago, I have a feeling a lot of people would have just kind of, bat- yeah, yeah. Th- th- they they wouldn't have thought too much about it, right? They'd gone off and done something else. But now we've, gone so, we've gotten so accustomed to embracing a digital medium where there didn't really used to be. So I think even post-pandemic, more and more people are going to be more likely to to go oh sure yeah let's make a night out of it let's stay in and let's watch a great concert from our couch right yeah. and yeah we'll chip a few bucks their way because we want this to keep happening so yeah exactly and i think that they're just afraid to do it because they think that that's gonna cut they i i, I suspect that they think every every ticket that we sell for like a dollar on the internet is a ticket that we don't sell for 45 dollars um in our concert hall 
and that's not the case. Mm-hmm. They're they're just different pools. Yeah. You know, it's every ticket that you sell for yeah every ticket that you sell for a dollar on the internet is on top of all the money that you'll be making from the Chicagoans, who are going to be coming to your concerts yeah. anyway. The Chicago Symphony is never going to have like an empty hall for their like major concerts of this cycle. You know, right in the 2021 2022 yeah. season, you, they don't need to be afraid of that. The digital and the yeah. enterprise is a whole different thing. Yeah, and then what you could do, dude. Okay. <laughs> This is brilliant, right? Because <laughs> then what then what you do is you make so if you do this whole digital platform uh, creation expansion and you create a really great um, attractive digital offering to your audience and then and also your potential audience, right? Now you have the opportunity to even jazz up and improve your live um, your live concert offerings, right? So. And, and there's uh, there's so many ideas to, to improve the live concert experience and make it even better. Uh, like I know the San Francisco Symphony, what they had been doing for a while was they would have a free uh, jazz concert, like a jazz combo concert in the lobby before the concert started, like starting an hour before the concert and the concert hall doors open before that. So you can... You know, you know, you don't have to be in a hurry to to get to your Beethoven 250 concert. <laughs> Instead, you can, um, so you can get to the concert hall early, you know, in your tux or your suit, and get a martini at the bar, enjoy some jazz, and then then go to the concert, right? And and that's awesome. And I know, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the Boston Symphony. They have a, a cool program where for I think it's one concert a month or so. They have an after party and it's basically for people aged like 18 to 30 or 18 to 35 and it's basically you pay like a membership fee to join like the boston symphony <laughs> cool kids club essentially <laughs> um and literally cool and kids. um it, right right and it, i think it's like 50 dollars a year or something and you also get discounted tickets to concerts so i'm like yeah okay obviously and yeah and so basically i'm pretty sure they use more or less like a rehearsal hall right next to the Boston Symphony Hall. Um, and But they dress it up. They have an open bar. They have uh, they have food and things. And you get to mingle with other young, uh, other young concert goers like yourself and things and chat about the concert and stuff. I think some of the musicians that are in that age group also go as well <laughs> and stuff. So that's awesome. And, you know, it's great. I, I think they advertise it too. I was, I saw it in, on an Instagram ad. They must have thought, hmm. I, or maybe I was in Boston when it got advertised to me, but... But uh, yeah, so they advertise it to people that are that are new to the city, you know, just moved there for school or for a job. Like, yeah, oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. It's a cool, that's a cool community to join. And so, so I'm like thinking about all this stuff. And yeah, if you have like this awesome digital platform that you've built up, and now you have a few cool things you've added to enhance the live concert hall experience coming out of this pandemic. Ah, oh, what a great suite of, of of things to have to be successful going forward in this in, in this new post-apocalypse. No, in, in, in this in, in, the, in this new you know post-COVID era. Like, yeah, I think it just makes so much sense. Um, yeah, as it is, I, I I fear that what what I thought was going to happen about a year ago is happening, which is that there's a tremendous amount of inertia in in the in the business models of of the classical music industry and. I basically thought what we were going to see over the next year is a bunch of institutions floundering um, about how to how to deal with um, having to make their business on the internet, 
and failing mm-hmm. to do so. And maybe we'll start seeing some daylight um, in a year, year and a half. Maybe some people will start figuring it out. But then um, the shiny allure of live concerts will be back and um, really developing the internet business model will be sort of abandoned. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah. the, the, again, the shiny like live concert is back. So... Um, I suspect we won't see much motion in the way of, of innovation, um, you know, in, in this in this realm. But here we are. You know, I'm I'm optimistic that at least one orchestra will figure it out. Yeah, and so in an unrelated note, Shreeder and I are starting our own consulting business for <laughs> digitizing your concert experience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hire us. We'll come in. We'll make you awesome. Yeah. We, we should just clip that clip this whole portion of the podcast and send it to various orchestras as our as our resume just hires as your digital content managers yeah yeah no honestly honestly um no there's we understand music there's and we understand the internet yeah yeah and we'll even run your podcast yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but um no i'm i'm willing to bet someone will figure it out um if i were to place a bet Dude, I'm going to bet it's going to actually be um, the New World Symphony in Miami. Ooh, that's good. Good um, call. Yeah. Any orchestra that's actually doing interesting stuff in the digital space or forget digital, just non-traditional space. The traditional being, all right, we have a concert. People come, they pay, they listen, they leave, right? <laughs> so because they have like the wall cast concert, they broadcast all their concerts for free on like that giant wall that's on the side of their concert hall. And people set up their picnic blankets and bring dinner and booze mostly booze and yeah. just and just hang out in the sunny weather and just enjoy a free concert so they're yeah. they're looking beyond you know the key is you have to look beyond next quarter that's that's yeah that's a good way of putting it exactly right um so anyways yeah yeah, yeah stop being obsessed yeah. with breaking even on every single concert or every single thing that you put out into the world you don't need to like break even or make a profit on it you know yeah. You can make enormous profits on certain things and um, lose money on others, but um, yeah. you know it, it'll be a, it'll be a net positive. Yeah, whoever the CEO of the New York Phil is, just hire his or her son or daughter for a summer <laughs> yeah, internship, exactly. and they'll they'll fix this in a month. It'll be yeah. like <laughs> exactly. Yeah, at the very least, just stop putting plus at the end of everything. <laughs> So, Shreeder, um, did you watch the Oscars? I did not. I did yeah, not. It was in um, <laughs> it was in uh, the train station in L.A. is where they filmed it or something. <laughs> You're kidding, right? I'm I'm dead serious. No, I'm dead serious. Yeah, it was like Union Station in, in L.A. Okay. or something. Yeah, because they, they didn't film it in the Kodak Theater where it usually it's filmed, the huge theater in L.A. So, because it was a much more intimate COVID. A nice intimate COVID Oscars. Oh my God. Um, so first of all, I, I do want to say I'm I'm really glad they didn't cancel the Oscars this year because there was talks that that they would, um, and I said because so many f- films didn't get released, and I said no 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 no, Oscars need to happen. If you decide to delay your film, that's your problem, right? That's <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. So even though it was kind of like a, a weird year for the Oscars, yeah, there's like 
12 films came out but still i'm glad it, i'm glad it glad it still happened but anyways um at least in our circles or some circles adjacent to ours one of the biggest pieces of news from the oscars had nothing to do with the oscars themselves no this was a la spirit of the super bowl where the commercials garnered the spotlight <laughs> there was a commercial there's a trailer sorry trailer for the remake of west side story which i believe comes out i i, I don't know i don't know when it comes out actually it comes out sometime soon i think 2021 is the year that i saw oh. so sometime in the next few months okay several months i should say yeah, yeah okay so this is the remake of the legendary 1961 film west side story of course based off the broadway musical and this is directed by steven spielberg and starring the unfortunately named ansel Elgort, <laughs> <laughs> and, and um the girl's um kind of good actually uh what's her name um it's with uh rachel zegler or ziegler rachel zegler um so that's tony and maria for you but hmm. anyways um the trailer is on youtube now it's a teaser trailer of like a minute minute and a half or so and yeah i mean you watched it before we started recording um yeah so i where to begin where to begin <laughs> well i didn't even know that this was happening until you told me about the trailer dropping so um uh it, it was, yeah so it, this was announced this movie was announced like right before covid started <laughs> or like happened so i think it just got covered up and like okay well, once in a century pandemic that you know was going on yeah so. understandable <laughs> um yeah so yeah i mean I don't know about you, but as you told me about it this morning to check it out before we started recording this, it was a real um, roller coaster of, of emotions because when you told me about it, I was dreading it. And then when I looked it up, I saw that Steven Spielberg was directing it. So I, I was moderately hopeful. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he's obviously, yeah, he's obviously quite a competent, if prosaic director. Um, uh, he's he's obviously like you know he's Steven he's, he's Steven Spielberg he invented the blockbuster so yeah he he'll he, yeah he's this thing will become probably successful because um, he knows how to push all the buttons but um, yeah. you know a minute and a half later I, I was quite um, annoyed at this thing after watching the trailer so um, that was my up and down uh, it was really it was a down and up and then down again I don't know about you so it's funny. Um... <laughs> um the trailer it felt like when i was watching the trailer i didn't think steven spielberg i thought jj abrams mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just the way it was shot it felt like a sci-fi action because so um there's those lens glares or or lens flares is actual term right you know those horizontal flares you get and that's when you use what's called a, an anamorphic lens and so if you if you've seen it like any of the star trek remakes or even the new star wars movies um those are there's lens flares everywhere and yeah that's because of the lens instead of it, they're like horizontal flares that are usually like a violet bluish um and they can be cool but just like anything too much of it is 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 not yeah <laughs> and so the trailer is like full of all these kind of flary very very modern cinema feeling um and um and if you want to get really nerdy you get those because the the glass for the lens is compressed laterally instead of radially like a traditional lens hmm. so the lens is actually more like a, the lens itself the glass of the lens is actually a rectangle shape um as opposed to like a circle hmm. so that's why you get those 
Because um, if you notice, like your iPhone, if you get like a glare or flare, it's usually round. Yeah. But with an anamorphic lens, it's usually horizontal. Oh, interesting. So, okay. Anyways. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I mean, I, th I thought, yeah, I thought the trailer, well, so the trailer is, first of all, it's the cliche modern Hollywood trailer, right? That has the cover of a song sometimes in it. So I think the trailer, um, uh, what's the name of the song? There's a place for us. Some, oh, is it somewhere? Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't like the trailer. Visually, the trailer was kind of cool. Like, uh, especially the first like few shots are very Spielbergian. Um, yeah. um, Spielberg, I mean, he kind of invented in many ways the modern art of like framing and like capturing a scene with scale and cinematography. An excellent example, I think, is Jurassic Park, uh, one of Spielberg's finest, right? And, and the reason that movie is like still so good and so and so relevant. And the reason it's better, it actually looks better and more realistic than all the Jurassic Park sequels, even the modern Jurassic World. If you look at Jurassic Park, it's Jurassic Park is not only scarier, it looks more real. And it's not because the special effects are better. No, their the actual technology is far inferior. But Spielberg is, is just such a natural and good and studied director um, that... Uh, if you look at how he frames and positions the camera and moves the camera, and more importantly, doesn't move the camera, when there's a dinosaur or a human or a dinosaur in a Jeep in the frame, I mean, he, he just has the art of cinematography like so down to a science that he, he can like really hone in on your own perspective and control it. And that's something all the modern action Jurassic Park, Jurassic World movies just can't do, which is why they look so like a Disneyland amusement park where Jurassic Park actually looked real. Film professors will say this too, like Jurassic Park is just as much a masterclass on framing in perspective as it is special effects. So um, so because of that, yeah, if you watch the first like few shots, especially of the West Side Story trailer are really cool shots that I would frame and like hang in my apartment. They're actually like really cool and well done. And, and um, so, oh, okay. I mean, I don't know where I was going with that. Like yeah. I thought that when I was starting to watch it, but, um, um, I do love, um, see, I mean, there's so many ways to start talking about this. I, I, so I really did like, I actually did like the movie La La Land. Right. Um, some people are surprised by that, <laughs> but I actually did like I'm, it. I'm a bit surprised. One of the reasons that, yeah. I loved it. I, um, I loved how it was a modern original Hollywood musical. It hasn't been one of those in so long, right? The musical has since been lost out of California and has been um, a Broadway-only thing, like a stage-only thing. But you go back to the 50s and 60s, I mean, the Hollywood musical, I mean, Singing in the Rain, right? The movie musical, um, My Fair Lady, right? These are, the the musical was as relevant on, on the silver screen as it was on the stage, but that's been lost a bit. And so La La Land, it was not only a movie musical, but it was a completely original one, like built from the ground up, the story, the script, the music. I mean, it was just not based off a book or a stage musical. So, I mean, I thought the vocals were usually pretty bad in the movie. Um, um, and that's one of my problems that will actually, I'm wondering with, with this West Side Story remake, what they're gonna do about it because um, uh, like dubbing used to be very prevalent in Hollywood musicals. Audrey Hepburn's voice 
her singing voice was dubbed for My Fair Lady. She's not singing those songs, even though she was a very good singer. They thought for the movie to stand the test of time, you know, it had to be great singing, great vocals. So she was dubbed. And that's Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> so maybe I'm wrong. I was going to say in the original West Side Story movie, they dubbed the vocalists as well. I think they did. I'm pretty sure they did. Um, I'm pretty sure they did. Pretty sure they Because it's like too good to yeah. not be dubbed. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I'm going to bet, though, they're not going to do that with this movie. They're I not. I think Ansel Elgort will actually be singing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So th this is actually a good place okay. for me to get my foot in the door here, if that's okay. Um, All right. Yeah. Please, um, please. Help me. So... Um, my, my biggest, my, my problem with this is, is basically, um, that it's going to, it's going to be too obsessed with realism for it to be a good musical. You know, that's, that's kind of the, my, in a mm, nutshell, criticism yeah. of it. And yet it will feel more fake, I think, than the 1961, um, West Side Story film. Um, so to to sort of go back to what you're talking about with Spielberg, um, one of the one of the things that makes Jurassic Park great is that um, is that he he would hold shots for a le for, for a really long time, and that used to be quite a bit more common. I think the the change from film to digital probably affected um, the way that um, people shoot things now. But um, modern film is full of of cuts. You know, you always cut. Um, in the middle of dialogue and in, in sequences that are choreographed they're, they're they're like you know if you look yeah. at the difference between a fight scene in a marvel movie versus a fight scene in a jackie chan or a bruce lee movie um right. there are it's too many cuts so it feels fake because it is um i can even tell yeah. from the trailer that these they choreographed like the rumble is going to be full of mm -hmm. these kind of marvel cuts you know unfortunately it seems to be part of the language of modern cinema now um, before, um, I think there was there was a way in which you would just sort of set up the camera, and it would feel like you were watching something happen on stage. You know, that's one thing that ha that the 1961 musical does really well. Um, sorry, the 1961 film, where you watch something and it, right, and it's, right. you know, there's no um, there's no effect. You're really watching. The rumble is choreographed, and it's happening the way that you see it happening. So it feels very real, even though of course it's highly stylized. Um, the camera's right. not cutting between all these people. It's one long choreographed take that's happening, and it's incredible to watch, you know, as if you were watching it um, on, a, on, a, on a stage. And, um, right. yeah, so it, it feels real in a way that, um, that this movie, I suspect, is not. Obviously, it's impossible to tell because it's just a trailer, but I can already kind of sure. guess. <laughs> um, but... Um, you know the 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 thing with the with the the realism. You know, I don't think the problem, the main problem, I don't think is going to be with Spielberg. I think it's going to be with Tony Kushner, who's the screenwriter. Um, and I saw, I read an interview with that he did about this film, and um, and he said that he he wants to um, he he that there was a lot of things about the the grittiness of of New York City in the. 50s and 60s um, that the or, or original movie didn't capture that he wanted to capture in this in this one you know um, he wanted the the grit and the dirt and the um, the, the the tragedy to come through um, and uh, and he he wants to stick close to to the um, original book by Arthur Lawrence and and the score by Bernstein um, and he he is going to um, neglect um, the the 
the choreography and the direction by Jerome Robbins, which I think is at least half, if not more, Whoa. of the uh, of the brilliance of the '61 film. You know, again, yeah. it's, it's it's highly stylized. Where even in the trailer, you can see that um, they're obsessed with making the the fights seem more like fights. Whereas if you watch the 1961 film, there's there's never a moment where it feels like anyone is actually fighting. It's all dancing. It's like again, it's like a Jackie Chan movie or a Bruce Lee movie. It's a carefully yeah. choreographed, quote unquote, fight, um, but it's not it's not real, and there's no pretense that it is. And yet it feels very real because um, the the emotion of the fight um, via dance is sort of transfigured to you. Yeah. Um, whereas in this yeah, in this yeah. case, I can t- I can already tell from this trailer that this is just going to be like every other movie with its, you know, more real but ultimately more fake fight scenes. They're just kind of the part right. of the Hollywood language now. Like you can you can picture it without even watching the trailer. You know, um, pe- people yeah. you know people are mad and they and they swing at each other, um, and it's 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 really annoying because um you know i i was really dispirited when i saw that he said that he wanted to bring some more of the sort of the real grit of, of new york city in the 50s into this movie because yeah. realism yeah. is not the purpose of the cinema it's, it's the purpose of wikipedia yeah. or your phone contacts yeah. list you know this is a musical this is a this is about stylization <laughs> it's about stylization and, and the emotion behind certain things um and if you want something to be timeless which yeah. the 1961 movie is and I don't think the 2021 will be, even if it breaks some box office records. Um, I think it will fail because of that. I think it won't have the, the, the universality or the timelessness of the original film because right. they'll be obsessed with a certain brand of... of it's, it's almost like um, it's, um, it's, a cheap, it's a cheap consumerist re- realism. You know? it's, it's not real to the, to mm. the core mm, yeah. of the emotion and the sentiment of, of, of the drama. You know, it's, it's kind of like, oh, you watch this film and you think, oh, yeah, you know, it looked like everyone actually fought and like, cried. Yeah, great. But then you go home and you feel nothing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's funny. I mean, and sorry, Scorsese, but before, he, I, before he, I quickly get off that. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah sorry, please, one yeah, more thing. Yeah. Um, it also shows a fundamental misunderstanding on the part of Tony Kushner because this, he said, again, this mm. thing, it, the original 1961 didn't portray New York City realistically. Um, Again, the, just the, even the fact that he said that, he misunderstands the fact that, that West Side Story is only about New York City in a superficial way. It's really about Tony and Maria. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny. Um, yeah, I love that. Um, Marty Scorsese. He 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 famously called Marvel films amusement park movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're yeah, you go in. It's a it's a fun ride for two hours, and then and then that's it. You know, like exactly. And um, and what you're saying is as far as the core, um, as far as the choreography, um, um, perspective, with yeah, if you look at like any of the Marvel movies, yeah, watch any of the fights, you'll notice they cut on almost every exactly. hit, like every punch, every hit. Yep. And that's a because they they're trying to make it look more intense but b the bigger reason they do it is because the actors actually don't know martial arts exactly right? <laughs> um because yeah if you watch so the jackie chan stuff is actually really interesting go watch any of his movies you'll see and like watch and you'll notice how carefully choreographed those scenes are and that they don't need a cut it'll be a long take for 40 seconds you'll see how there's so many marks he's hitting as an actor and it's it's very carefully planned and 
Yeah, the fact that they it's starting to look like they they don't get this in in terms of Jerry Robbins. I mean, one of the most influential choreographers of the 20th century. Um, you know, he was uh, he was a dancer, I believe, at the New York City Ballet, and then he was a choreographer for the New York City Ballet, mm -hmm. and then he went on to choreograph. West Side Story. He choreographed Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah. He, um, yeah. And he uh, even directed. He, he has one half of the directorial credits for the movie, too. So he was really involved in. For West Side Story? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So oh, he's, he was really that, involved okay. in, the, in the way that movie looked, you know, which, again, I think I don't want to yeah. be ragging on Tony Kushner too much. But um, I think, again, a fundamental misunderstanding of the soul of West Side Story, where he says we're going to um, stay true to the original scored by Bernstein and, and Arthur Lawrence's book. Um, again, no mention of Jerome Robbins, which I think is at least half the genius. Yeah. Yeah, and he wants to make it look more realistic. It's like, well, then, then why are you doing a musical? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. People don't actually sing when they're, <laughs> when they're in a fight. Yeah. Exactly. Like... <laughs> and you can see it if you compare the, even if you compare trailers to or, or um, you know, scenes from the 1961 to the 2021, they, they look more fake in 2021 again i don't want to sound like i'm repeating myself yeah. but the there's a there's a deeper truth to be had there's an, there's an ecstatic truth to be had in stylization right um again and going mm -hmm. back to the jackie chan thing um the if you look at a modern action movie and a scene from a jackie chan fight the technically speaking the jackie chan fight is more fake because um they are it's choreographed right and and they're they're not yeah. actually like pretending to fight the whole thing it, there's a large right. um fakery around it and yet it feels very real because the the takes are long and um the the again the emotion of the fight is conveyed in a way that's much better than if you just cut on every um on every punch like you said if you just even just because you yeah. say like this fight is real doesn't mean that the fight will actually feel real um, to to you the viewer and I think they misunderstand that in this in this movie and again it, it, it's so much of the beauty is is lost because if I wanted to see a gritty movie about um, about race <laughs> relations and and gang wars in New York City um, I'm not going to watch West Side Story that's not the purpose of this the purpose of this is a right. is a is a musical and dance and 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 love story um, it, it's totally misunderstanding and the dancers are not good in in 2021 they again they had That's a hell of a time casting say. had a hell of a time casting in 1961 because they wanted to find people who could dance extraordinarily well were young um yeah. and and could um and could act and could right? act yeah <laughs> yeah um and in yeah, some cases yeah, things, though, i think in other cases they weren't happy to dub over you know um but yeah it's a shame because everything will be compromised the, the dancers don't look they look mediocre the singers sound mediocre. I want to get to that too, in terms of the the. Um, yeah. Maybe this is a good time to, to, to go there in terms of the the. I was just going to follow up a bit on the choreography. <laughs> yeah, I mean West Side Story. I don't think it works without Jerry Robbins. Yes. I don't think it works without that choreography. Right. Yeah. In the same way, Fiddler on the Roof, in that sense, right? Because if you look at which Jerry Robbins also choreographed, and they picked him specifically because of his work on West Side Story. Right, you know, Fiddler on the Roof. There's a great documentary. Um, I think it's on Canopy. It's called The Miracle of Miracles, <laughs> and it's about the making of Fiddler on the Roof and how that came to be. And yeah, I mean, 
the the sales pitch to like commission the musical is like <laughs> you know in the era of of in that era that era of broadway of a chorus line and cabaret you want to make a musical about a bunch of jewish refugees in tsarist russia fleeing from their homeland <laughs> i mean it's like <laughs> yeah good luck right but that movie and west side story is the same way they're very sad serious profound stories but they're also so funny at times right yeah just like the bottle dance and fiddler on the roof and just like america you know in west side story that's a hilarious song or officer krupke yeah but to pull that off choreography and dance has to be viewed as that language that medium that art form that just has that has just as much narrative power in in that film as as the music or the dialogue you know so exactly um, not understanding that is i'm sorry to say not understanding west side story well yeah exactly well said um, and, and, um, I just, I mean, heck, if I could just add yeah, yeah. one more thing, West Side Story opens with nine minutes of music and dancing. Yeah. Not one single word. So come on. Yeah, exactly. Come on. <laughs> it's, it's frustrating because I think, I think there's, there's a real, um, a real craze about, about, um, a sort of banal kind of realism right now in in in, in hollywood um and in, in movie culture mm. i think people um oftentimes i think people watch old movies and think you know this is all fake um but it's it's the level of stylization that um that leads to to real emotion i think is is undervalued and um you know like you said fiddler on the roof is is extraordinarily sad as is west side story um and yet you don't need to have people crying to convey that you don't need to have people crying you don't need to have people um you know you don't need to have blood sweat and tears to to convey those emotions um especially when you have music and dance um you can convey those things in a higher form you know we have blood we have plenty of blood sweat and tears in real life thank you very much um that's not the that's mm -hmm. not the point of uh, the exalted aesthetics um the kind of exalted tragedies that um that the cinema can bring to you you know um yeah and and to to move that to the to the to the music which to, to me is the part that is the greatest um the greatest affront to me in this um mm -hmm. apparently there's a composer whose name is david newman i don't know who that is um do you oh yeah i i i, I do he's from the newman family so um alfred newman randy newman mm -hmm. um he's done did he do the score for some of the recent james bond movies he's no, a good no. composer okay Fair enough. Well, in any case, yeah. he is arranging okay. the score for West Side Story for this. Okay. He is he's modifying it slightly. Um, and again, without watching the film, I don't know the full extent to what is going to happen here. But already from the trailer, I can tell, um, which is that they are making it less symphonic and again, more realistic. Um, for example, the in the um, the um, somewhere, the clip that they have in the trailer, um, mm -hmm. It is it is operatically yeah. written. It's operatically written and it's operatically scored. Yeah. And um, in the in the trailer, it's a lot more sparse than it is in the original scoring, yeah. because I can I can already tell it's a cover. It's, it's cover, a cover, yeah. and I can I can already tell the 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 um, thought process where they sit down and they say, well, look, this is a really sad moment. Um, maybe they shouldn't be having like a full orchestra underneath them. It should be just them a cappella, you know, something something like that, something more more um, immediately. Uh, sad on the cover on the face of it you know um but um again this is this modern trend of of of, 
of the they want the music to to tell you how to feel whereas if the beautiful thing about 1961 was that story is that you have these different art forms they operate almost in counterpoint with each other right they not that they have nothing yeah. to do with each other but they're not they're only informing each other in the in the um most superficial of ways you know that the music isn't it, yeah. the music yeah. isn't on the nose saying like this is sad you must feel sad you know it's just it's beautiful mm -hmm. in its own way and it conveys a a sad emotion that's more complicated than that and um i think this is going to be totally totally um lost in this sort of in this in this quest to to avoid stylization and to seem realistic but that's not even the worst of it the, the worst part is going back all the way they're not going to dub singers here they're not gonna they're not gonna dub over the the actors and um look i'm sure ansel angord whatever his name is i'm sure he's mediocre he's Ansel fine. elgort elgort my bad oh um, well he he, he, does, he does have an album he does have um, <laughs> thief i'm pretty sure it's called <laughs> we'll play a clip for it yeah. here for you yeah you, you sent this to meet me. the new tony ladies this and gentlemen tony. You, you sent this to me right before we started recording i could make it one minute and 17 seconds in before i had to stop I hope I hope this makes the movie. I hope that yeah, they put it in. It'll be in the credits. Um, but look, I'm sure these people can sing decently enough. You know, they're mediocre singers. Um, yeah. But the 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 way that this works, it's like it's like um, it's like Wagner, right? He had this concept of um, of hmm. uh, I think it's called Gesamtkunstwerk, the the totality of the art, right? Every little thing yeah. matters. Okay. The staging, the music, the the whole thing matters, um, and right. and you can't just be like like in this in this cover, some of somewhere that's playing in the trailer, um, whoever the the Maria character that's singing it, um, she's fine, but she's not great, and um, and more to the point, even if she were better than she's singing in this thing, I think she's trying to be realistic, right? It's a sad moment in the in the film. Um, where it's right after the rumble and Tony has just killed Bernardo, right? Um, right. And and um, so, again, like, they change the score so that it's it's more sparse in the orchestration. And then she sings with, she's, like, almost crying while she's singing it. And, again, in 1961, they just say, just sing it operatically and the emotion of the music will carry through, you know? In 2021, they say, mm. no, yeah. the character in real life would be crying, so you need to be crying while you're singing. And the result is that it's like, you know, this has happened in so many musicals re recently. Like, they, it happened with the Les Mis musical that, ha that came out recently. And oh, that was I so, forgot about that. That was so yeah. horrible for the same reasons, because you can't sing while you're crying. so bad. You can't sing while you're crying. And that's, yeah. you know, opera, opera singers <laughs> know that. And, and you know, it, it messes up the music in a very real way. Like, the, 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 the somewhere. So that goes, that starts, I'm not yeah. going to try to sing it for you here. But it's a, the first two notes are an interval of a minor seventh, right? That, that needs to resolve to the to the um to the um six
the tension of the melody is, is very important there. And it's, it's, it's parallels yeah. the tension of the melody in, in Maria, which is a tritone, um, which, that, which needs yeah. to resolve up to the fifth. Maria, I've just met a girl named Maria, and suddenly that name will never be the same to me. Maria, I've just... Right, so in Maria, it's just right. you get this tense interval, the tritone, and, and you, you, um, it's an aspirational song, and it resolves upwards in the melody. Somewhere, it's, 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 uh, it's a sadder song. It's more nostalgic. It, there's this tension of the um, uh, minor seventh that needs to resolve down. You know, these intervals need to be precisely sung for the, for the, for the emotion of the music um, and the moment to carry you through, right? That's the whole point. Not to mention the fact that the orchestra plays it many times, you know, and the, and the singers are, and the musicians, the instrumentalists aren't fudging um, the intervals. And yet in, yeah. the, in this trailer, that's, it's, your ear barely picks up on the fact that this is a minor seventh. The, it's, the interval is so out of tune. Um, if you played it like that in a, in a jury, you would fail. Um, she, does, she doesn't even yeah. care. She doesn't even care that, that, this, that this minor seventh is a crucial interval for the, for the structure of the, not just the song, not just the piece, but the entire movie, that the film kind of revolves around these, these tense, melodious intervals, right? Um, and, yeah. and, and if you just say like, oh, you know what? Uh, in real life, if this happened, the girl would be crying. So cry during the singing and it's going to be more realistic. It's like, okay, but again, this is a superficial realism. Uh, now we don't have the, right. the music isn't telling the music isn't giving us any kind of emotional cues because your ear isn't picking up on it. It's, you, it's just a sob fest. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, and again, the re, the re, the reality of it is, if um, if someone if you just you know if someone just came to you and that you met like a day ago and said sorry but I stabbed your brother, you wouldn't be singing a love song about him. You'd say, well, who the fuck are you? I'm calling the cops. So can we, can yeah, we forget yeah. the realism yeah. with, the, with the musicals and just can we have a musical? With that Les Miserables movie that came out, what, like eight years ago, six years ago or so? Something like that. Um, yeah, that, that movie was horrendous. Yes. It was so bad. And I noticed in the theater, you may have well, but I know I, I, I noticed that, yeah, they changed the keys of several of the songs mm. to make them easier to sing. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I almost, yeah, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm done. Um, so the thing with West Side Story, right? These these points you're making about the music. It's like the music is that good. It doesn't need much else. I mean, it just needs to be sung very well, which itself is hard to do, mm -hmm. right? That's a huge challenge. But this fact that it, it's now this little like toy chest that these Legos that you can play around with <laughs> and manipulate. It's like, yeah, you can. It just it just won't be as good. Yeah. It just won't be as good, you know? Yeah. Like Bernstein was that good at what he did. Um and and what he wrote uh, in this case. So it's... It's this, it's this problem of the, the 1961 film was really a, um, a unique collaboration between four people who are straight up geniuses, right? We've, we've talked about this before, between yeah. Leonard Bernstein, Stephen Sondheim, Jerome Robbins, and Arthur Lawrence. Um, it was right. four minds who got together to make something that is timeless. Um, this new version seems like it's, you know, it's got some interesting names on, on it sort of, list of people involved in, on the project but ultimately it is it is designed by committee it's it's a film that's designed by committee mm -hmm. and it, it looks like it already and i know it's going to be it's going to feel like it in the movies and uh, i'm not sure if your teachers ever told you um this uh, this phrase in this particular way but um one of my teachers always used to say look uh, you know you're the musician your job is not to cry while you're playing the sad 
tune. Your job is to <laughs> is to play it in such a way that the audience cries, you know. And, and mm-hmm. these these modern musical singers don't seem to realize that. You know, you the character playing Maria, it's not your job to cry. It's your job to sing beautifully so that we cry. And that's the thing, you know, with, yeah. with the Les Mis movie, say, that came out a while ago, and I bet you it's going to happen with this one, too. There's not going to be anyone yeah. crying in the theater, even though it's going to be an extremely sad moment, and it's an extremely sad film. By the time it's over, people will just say, oh, that was nice, and then they'll leave. Because if you're crying while you're singing, you're not going to make anyone else cry while they're listening, except maybe out of pain. Yeah. <laughs> no, because when I was watching this trailer, I kept thinking <laughs> in the back of my head, what would Lenny say right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Leonard Bernstein in the rehearsal, in that rehearsal documentary um, where he's making the, the album, you know, he's picking on Jose Carreras yeah. relentlessly. Yeah. You don't think he's going to pick on whatever yeah. this person's one, name one is? One of the three tenors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's one of the greatest singers on the planet. Yeah, yeah exactly. He yeah. would tear Ansel Elgort such yeah. a movie, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that'd be, uh, that'd be great. And um, it's one of the, so it's funny, these things we're talking about, right? It does make you appreciate La La Land a little bit more. Okay. Not for the vocals. The, <laughs> the, the vocals aren't fantastic. Like Ryan Gosling can't sing. I'm sorry. Um, Emma Stone's passable, I guess. But at least what they're trying to do was to say to make a musical that was true of of the time, which is now, right? Like that's the that's I think at the crux of this of this issue of this problem, right? So. West Side Story was made in the early 60s. It was probably started production in the late 50s. But, you know, West Side Story was a product of that era of society, but specifically specifically that era of Hollywood, where Hollywood was going through a transformation in the 60s. And that was in the, um, in the late 50s, right? Um, the Hollywood studios felt very threatened, and rightfully so, because of a new technology that was emerging, the TV right now all these all these homes across america had television sets and could watch free video content why why would they have to go to a theater and pay money anymore right when cbs nbc broadcasts over the air for free by law for free so um so that was a big scary point for hollywood so what did they do hollywood had to change right so they made the movies more epic more dynamic right now they couldn't just make dramas and comedies right now they had to make these epic sagas. So then you got, in the early 60s, you got West Side Story, you got Lawrence of Arabia, mm. you got Dr. No, right? It was a very abrupt shift in the way movies were, you know? Interesting. And, and they also came out w- with a new medium, a new format called Cinemascope, which nowadays we just call widescreen. But back then, you know, all TVs were squares, you know, in your home back then. But with a new kind of lens on a traditional camera, you could essentially caught more image when you filmed and like squeezed it then you go into the editing booth and like de-squeeze it and you get kind of the the modern widescreen with the two black bars on, on the top and theaters could show that you couldn't really watch that very well on a 20 inch tv at home so again hollywood changed hollywood changed and then hollywood changed again um speaking of spielberg right changed again more in the late 70s early 80s when a new technology came around and threatened hollywood again that was the vhs tape right and so now you could buy a movie that and and watch it as many times as you wanted, right? Um, for no extra cost, you just keep playing it. So then Hollywood created the summer blockbuster, and that's paid way to Indiana Jones and 
uh, ET and um, and all all that stuff, Star Wars, right? And so Hollywood's gone through all these phases, and we're in the middle of maybe something like that right now. Mm -hmm. Is everyone saying is Hollywood being threatened now by this era of streaming? Ren? And I say, of course, of course they are, right? Yeah, but they have been in the past. Yeah, again, they'll innovate the way their way out of it. Like contrary to what many people, me included, sometimes believe, there are some smart people in Hollywood, <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's some smart people running these studios. So when you look at a movie from this era of early 60s or just the 60s in general. If you look at if you look at Lawrence of Arabia, which came out one year later in 1962, what I've always said and what everyone's always said about that movie is you just couldn't make that movie nowadays. There's no way because there's not a single special effect in the whole film. It was actually filmed in the North African desert for over two years, right? Um, with star-studded cast, you know, Omar Sharif and um, Peter O'Toole and so, I mean, you know, and uh, directed by David Lean. It, they lived in a desert in tents to make that movie, right? Yeah. That would just not be done nowadays. It'd be done in a studio and it'd look kind of fake, right? It would just not would just not, not be the same three and a half hour long epic that just could not have been made even like 10 or 20 years later. That movie just could not have been made. And I feel the same about West Side Story. You just can't make this movie now. Yeah. It's going to be frankly very different and I think lesser film because it's just a pointless iteration on something that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. So, but even ignoring that part of it, just the fact that um, one of the things that makes this movie so great, unique, and iconic is just it being a product of that particular era of Hollywood and trying to just redo that 50 years later, it's just not going to work. Yeah, that's really interesting what you say about um, Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, Werner Herzog has, has many of the same problems with um, his films. You know, that's why he goes the independent route. He, fun he funds his own um, films, you know, he wanted to do stuff like um, in Aguirre, the Wrath of God. Um, you, you know, he was filming on a on on a on a raft um, in the Amazon, um, mm -hmm. and he actually wanted mm -hmm. to be yeah, he actually yeah. wanted to be on that raft in the Amazon or in Fitzcarraldo, you know, pulling a ship over a mountain um, again in the in the in the Amazon jungle. Um, he he, you know, he went to his meeting with the studio executives and said we should do this with an actual ship, pulling it over an actual mountain. Um, and they said, no, you can just use a miniature. You can just use a model and film it close up and you know, we can save lots of money and danger. And he said, no, yeah. you know, I'm gonna go fund this myself because the studios are, are um, intellectually bankrupt or culturally bankrupt, you know? Mm -hmm. um, right. And it's the same thing would have happened with Lawrence of Arabia today. They, if you actually say, no, we want to actually go film this in tents on the desert, they say, no, there are much easier ways to do it. You know, we got CGI, we got green right. screen, we got everything, you know, but it's fake. Again, right. it's this, it's, um, you don't, you, you don't trust that what's happening on, on camera is, is real. And, um, I think that's going to be a major downfall of the 2021 West Side Story. You know, this this trailer looks yeah. like every other movie that's fake. Whereas one thing that's very uh, the the 1961 West Side Story, it feels so real. You know, um, you're actually yeah. they're actually doing the dancing and the, the it's you know these incredible choreographies and um, they may as well be fighting. You know that the dances are so um, brilliant and um, so evocative that, that you watch them and you and you're blown away in a way that you know in the yeah. these this trailer shows that leaves you cold yeah and also um the point of realism is interesting because yeah so one of the things i was thinking when i watched this west side story trailer is it felt so digital yeah <laughs> right and west side story the 61 film and lawrence of arabia as well they were two of the first films shot on 70 millimeter film right so that was 
basically the original high high definition it was revolutionary at the time it was brand new extremely expensive had these huge giant cameras you had to like lug around the desert in the case of Lawrence of Arabia so um yeah so I mean it felt like dude okay that's it West Side Story is a film this new one looks like a movie yeah <laughs> Exactly. If that, if that makes any sense. No, that's that's exactly like, what I meant when I when I said right at the top of this that um that there are too many there are too many cuts because it, you can just tell that there there are you know digital cameras all around the place and they're just they're capturing everything that's going on and they're going to be going to be cutting between all the different angles you know whereas if you if you had to make this and you really just had one or two um, seventy millimeter seventy millimeter cameras you know you can't get as many cuts as mm-hmm. you want. Uh, as they can get in this in this modern age, you know, I really think the the technology yeah. is is helping the style, um, is is making the style change, and I think it's in this case for the for the worse. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I think there's a statistic out there too where it's uh, something like ninety percent of all the movies made by major Hollywood studios, like ninety or ninety five percent of them, are either sequels remakes reboots or a continuation of a series again one of the reasons i do kind of like la la land it was completely original a completely original hollywood musical i mean what hollywood studio would sign on to that right apparently i forget who did that one if it was warner or someone but someone did but that's a tough sell that's a really tough sell yeah that's one of the things that really pissed me off about um reading that interview with tony kushner you know when when he um, um, I know we usually say we don't pick on individuals here, but uh, he seems he seems like a big shot, so he can he can take it. Um, I'm 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 sure he's fine. Yeah, I'm sure he's <laughs> yeah. You know, he's he's on another level. But um, yeah. you know, um, he just he 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 was he made this very I thought uh, a point that was very sort of uh, it was like sophistry. You know, it was very. Um, he he said, um, you know, we're not we're not doing a remake of the film. We're we're just we're um, doing like a, another version of it, or something. Like we're we're redoing the film. We're not re, we're not. This is not a remake. Mm. You know, this is this is a redoing. And it's like, no, I'm sorry, but this is a remake, and this is a this is an inferior one. Uh, this is you're, yeah, I mean, it's it's disrespectful. I, I mean, look, I, I don't want to just sound like um, someone who's saying that this thing is going to suck because um, it's not as good as the 1961. This thing is going to suck on its own merit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. yeah, right, right. For, for all the right. reasons that we like, listed. F- forget comparing it to the old one. Yeah. yeah. Just... But on top of that, to, to have the gall to, to go in and, and criticize the 1961 for not being realistic enough um, and, and, and not being uh, gritty enough or something, um, it's, again, you're, it just misses the point. And, and um, in so many ways, just... Um, you know, it's never good when when you listen to a a director um, talk about something that they're doing that they're working on, and they don't understand the source material. You know, yeah, that's yeah. not that's not good. Um, that's, that's not a good sign. Yeah, no. for, and going back to to Werner Herzog when he when he was doing um, Nosferatu, um, which was originally made by by Murnau in the twenties, it was a silent film based on Dracula. Um, it's clear that if you listen to him in the if you listen to him talking about it, it's clear that he understands Bram Stoker's Dracula extremely well. Um, it's clear that he understands mm-hmm. the original Murnau film extremely well. Um, he knows these things better than most people on the planet, and therefore his Nosferatu is also a wonderful film. 
Whereas you listen to um, to Tony Kushner talking about West Side Story, and he says things like, he first of all he doesn't even mention Jerome Robbins, um, uh, you know, while he's um, getting rid of his choreography, um, and then he says yeah, things yeah. like, um, you know, <laughs> it was not gritty enough, it wasn't realistic enough, and it's like, okay, I am just like a dude on the street, and I understand West Side Story better than you do. This is not a good sign. Yeah. Wait, what What did he say? You said it's like not a remake. He said something. I can find the exact quote if you want. But he, he, okay. he was he was um, stressing that it was not a remake, but he was there just doing like another iteration on what's that story. But yeah, well, it's like if you say it's not a remake, one look at the new logo would, would tell otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Like it looks exact same font, the exact same text formatting as the original West Side Story poster. So, yeah, hmm. you just have Steven Spielberg's name on top of it. That's that's all. It's um, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Again, like I do believe, like again, this this movie, it's just it's a product of its era, right? Like for the same reason, and Spielberg, I'm sure, gets this, right? You can't remake Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? It's just yeah. It's a it's an '80s film, right? It's that's just how how it is. Um, so yeah, it's concerning that that uh, the people making this like don't even yeah understand West Side Story, right? Yeah, they don't even know what made it so great. And I did hear um again, I'm not sure this is gonna this is gonna be the saving grace that that makes this movie you know the greatest of, of the decade. But I did hear Gustavo Dudamel is running the orchestration or like conducting the recording he's conducting the recording session but like i said the the reorchestration is going to happen with david newman and i'm not very optimistic about that because from the trailer it seems inferior to leonard bernstein's score um again the 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 i don't want to sound like someone who is a traditionalist because i'm not but if you're going to approach something like leonard bernstein's score and try to arrange it for something new you better fucking bring your game, mm-hmm. man. But you know, it, yeah. again, like again, going back to the <laughs> yeah. the instance of one of the very few remakes, quote unquote remakes that I think actually worked is is Herzog's Nosferatu. And mm. it, again, when when you hear mm. him talking mm. about it, he approached these things, and you immediately get the sense this guy knew what was up. This guy he knows, you know, he knows very well what his source material is, and he's going to bring a sort of creative um, vision that's new and unique and interesting to to this thing, you know. Um, with this thing again, you yeah. get the sense that like, okay, so you have people like Leonard Bernstein and Jerome Robbins on the original, and you get um, these people who are probably highly competent at what they do, but not willing to bring yeah. the same kind of artistic genius to this thing, you know. Um, and I think it's gonna it's gonna fail. Like to to try to arrange Leonard Bernstein's score um, and, and not not bring to it your own creative vision. That's yeah. that's a, a. I mean, I don't, even the personnel is like, it's like a little interesting. Like, ah, uh, so for if they said Michael Tilson Thomas was in charge of the orchestration, exactly, exactly. I'd be like, hell yeah, right? Exactly, <laughs> and and he would approach it with, right. um, with a real creative vision. You know, I mean, who knows? Maybe we're wrong. Maybe it turns out to be really good, but. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler. They actually changed the ending. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ria and Tony moved to Long Island. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So I mean, I think it's it's been clear by now too. Streeter and I are we're being so critical and harsh on this because we love West Side Story, yeah. and I think anyone, anyone American, and anyone that just loves good stuff, um, uh, it, it's 
anyone who loves good music, great art. I mean, West Side Story is such a masterpiece. Every aspect of it, just so great. Yeah. No matter which angle you look at it, no matter what age you are when you watch it, no matter when in your life you watch it, there's something everlasting and relevant and fresh about it each time you view it. And it's, that's, it's just like it's a true compliment for any piece of art. Mm. And so it's because the original is so great that, you know, if this was some, if this was, you know, um, Tony Stark, the musical, Streeter and I wouldn't even be talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> but because this is West Side Story, you know, one of the most pivotal works of just 20th century art period, it, 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 it deserves some tough love if you're going to launch a trailer like this. <laughs> and again, I thought what you, you made a very, it was a quick point, but it was a very inter- important one, um, which is that it, this would be a different project if they got someone on board like Michael Tilson Thomas, you know. To get together the four people that were involved in, to get together Bernstein, Robbins, Lawrence, and Sondheim, you know, this, it would be like, I, I, I'm struggling to think of names off the top of my head, but it would be like t- today if we got uh, Michael Tilson Thomas or Esapekka Salonen, the great um, conductor and, yeah. and, contempor- and com- really interesting composer of contemporary music, alongside with someone like yeah. uh, Twyla Tharp and Harold Pinter, you know, the, the best of the best in their in their respective genres um, working on, on this project you know the the best of the best creative people you know working on this project this Mm -hmm. seems this seems this 2021 seems like there are one maybe two truly creative artists um on board and the rest is is hollywood suits you know it was creative conflict at the spirit of the original west side story right i mean arthur lawrence and Bernstein would argue you know all night to try to figure out what should be done in the scene right i mean it was just this constant debate and struggle conflict was at the heart of producing this magical piece of art so yeah. um yeah whereas you get the sense watching this um, that um that it was it was agreeable along the way and it was all sort of designed by committees and it's too yeah, nice yeah. it's too nice it probably sounds like Schrader and i are in a bad mood today <laughs> we promise we're not with this, is... <laughs> this is yeah um this is just the the, the grumpy special yeah yeah, it kind of is a grumpy special. Hmm, maybe that'll be the title, yeah. but it's, you know, you know, we say we say this out of love. You know, it's um, and again, I do kind of mean what I said about the movie West Side Story being from that era, and that's what made that movie possible. Yeah. I just uh, I have a hard time believing this could have ever been good. <laughs> yeah, uh, this remake. You know, I mean, because the names you're saying, maybe not Ansel Elgort and, and the cast, but the names you're saying behind the, on the on the back end, the actual directors and writers and and composers, arrangers, these are some of the biggest names in Hollywood. These are huge names. So, you know, it's not like they didn't bring, it, it wouldn't be my A-team I brought to it, and I know it would not be yours. It's probably not the right A-team, but it is an A-team to some degree. True, you know? true. I think part of it is just, yeah, also... Wrong place, wrong time. But that never stopped Hollywood before. Nope. <laughs> nope. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs>